All month we've been reflecting on gratitude. And given the state of our world, what we know individually, and of course what we hear about on the news, I've found myself this week feeling grateful that things aren't worse than they are. I know it's setting a pretty low bar, but these days, as one of my kids' teachers used to say, sometimes she would say, you all are just going down the tubes. (laughs) I know. Sometimes it seems like our world is going down the tubes, right? And I'm grateful for the gift, the simple gift of a normal day. A quiet day. Earlier this week, there was a column in the New York Times by David Brooks about the amount of suffering in our culture these days. The first sentence read, Wherever I go, I seem to meet people who are either dealing with trauma or helping others deal with trauma. You know about this, don't you? Some of you are on the front lines in your work as nurses or social workers or teachers. Some of you at the places where you work, like Emmaus or Ruth's house or Community Action. I see it here. There is so much brokenness and trauma that people are trying to deal with, sometimes successfully and sometimes not. I find myself wondering what allows some people to heal from trauma and go on to lead good and happy lives and Why do some people seem unable to do this? It seems a mystery to me. Certainly, access to resources is part of it. Whether you have supportive family or friends, whether you have enough access to food and housing and the services that you need, Certainly things like chronic illness, both mental and physical, makes life harder, as does substance abuse and addiction problems, which are so prevalent these days. In that column he wrote, David Brooks puts his finger on something that I know to be true, but something that isn't always obvious. He writes, Our society has tried to medicalize trauma. We call it PTSD and regard it as an individual illness that can be treated with medications. But it's increasingly clear that trauma is a moral and spiritual issue as much as a psychological or chemical one. He continues, As a culture, we're pretty bad at dealing with moral injury. Sometimes I look at the rising suicide and depression rates, the rising fragility 
and distrust, and I think it all flows from the fact that we've made our culture a spiritual void. When you privatize morality and denude the public square of spiritual content, you've robbed people of the community resources they need to process moral pain together. He's not saying that everything's going to be better if everyone would just start going back to church. Nor is he saying that a deeper and wider spirituality would negate the need for good medical treatment and good psychological treatment. It's a both and and not an either or. But I do appreciate his reminder that our culture has lost something as it's pushed religion away. With the holiday season now officially upon us, though it seemed like, from what I see in the stores, it started back in October sometime. I don't know exactly. Isn't it a good time to bear witness to the fact that our culture's main replacement for religion, consumerism and a ceaseless striving for more, to acknowledge that is never going to satisfy our longings for connection, depth, and love. I remember a night here, an October night a year ago, after 58 people were killed at an outdoor concert in Las Vegas, we held a Vesper service here. And I saw on the faces of people coming to church that night how important it was to them that they were here that we were here holding open this space for grief and mourning, how good and important it was to be here together. We had a big table here up front and around the edge, the perimeter of the table, we put 59 votive candles, one for each of the victims and one for the perpetrator too. And people came forward and lit all of those candles. And together we prayed and wept and voiced our outrage at another mass shooting in our country. When the service was over and people had left, I walked back in here and all those candles were still burning and one of you was standing up here by this table, tears running down your face. And you said to me, we need to extinguish these candles reverently. And I said, yes, we do. And so we stood there in silence for several minutes and eventually I said a brief prayer, and then quietly and carefully we started extinguishing those candles, putting out each of those lights that stood for each of those lives. 
And on my way home that night, driving in the car, I found myself thinking of how grateful I am to be in this with you all. How grateful I am to be part of a community and a tradition that has these ways to respond when tragedy strikes and when good things happen too. How grateful I am that we have rituals which start to help us to heal what is broken. I'm not saying that I don't think there need to be other responses too, but I do know deep in my bones that when we don't know what to do, and when the impulse is to rush off and do something, do anything, then often what is needed is some time and some space to sit with one's grief and brokenness and not run away from that. And I'm grateful to be in a community where this is wanted and even expected. Because this is something our society has largely forgotten how to do, right? How to hold a sacred space in the public square. How to speak to the spiritual depths that people are both resistant to and hungry for. How to gather in reverence. How to be led into moments of awe and wonder and connection how to come together despite the differences that could divide us. Last Sunday afternoon, my wife Tracy and I attended the memorial service for the adult son of some friends of ours, a man in his 40s who had taken his own life. During that service, people were invited to do what you all do here every Sunday, but at that church, it was an unusual event. They had candles down front and said people could come up and light candles at any time, and people continued doing this even after the service was over. And for me, it was a poignant reminder that at times like this, words are not enough that we need physical acts and tangible acts of reverence and ritual to embody all that we're feeling. But it's gotten harder to do this in the public sphere. I used to watch one of those hospital TV dramas. I think it was the show ER, which is dating me because that was a while ago. I think this was when I was back in divinity school. And things, every episode, you know, things would go from bad to worse. And there would be a problem. And I would find myself saying out loud, where's the chaplain? Where's the chaplain? That person never showed up. The good news is that in some settings these days, Spiritual care is being addressed. The need for that is being addressed. And hospice has helped. 
and the growing number of interfaith chaplains has helped. Our local efforts at interfaith dialogue, gathering in each other's faith communities to share about our traditions over a meal, this helps too. And something we Unitarian Universalists are naturally good at is being open to varied perspectives and learning how to translate and make meaning across difference, holding open a space for people with diverse theologies and spiritualities to enter these depths together. These days, I'm simply grateful that you are here, that we are here. I'm grateful for what we have here, and I'm wondering how we might share it more widely. Because I sense the world is hungry for what we have. And maybe this isn't that new, though there is a new thing happening in our land, it seems. But in our reading this morning, the first one, those ancient words from the prophet Isaiah, we heard this reminder that our human tendency to resist and run away from the holy is nothing new. Way, way back, Isaiah wrote, the Holy One says, in returning and rest, you shall be saved. In quietness and in trust shall be your strength. But you refused and said, no, we will flee. Still, Isaiah says, the Holy will hear us when we cry out in times of trouble. And when you turn to the right, or when you turn to the left, your ear shall hear a word behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. Isn't this what good religion does? What good ritual does? It reminds us that there is a way that is good and true, that is available to us that helps us walk in it together. And isn't this what people are hungry for these days? These shared experiences of reverence and meaning. The poet David White, a modern prophet, writes of a time he was with fellow pilgrims and they were reminded of what we do know in our bones, but so often forget. He writes, we stopped to say a simple word of thanks that we could walk to this place and find it like a promised understanding, like an intuition long held, that it stood always at the end of the long road we took to get here, as if to welcome us, as if to teach us and hold us in this time now, to understand at last how close the threshold is that takes us like a blessing from a world we think we know and turns our face to wonder. 
that takes us from a world we think we know and turns our face to wonder. There's a poster in my office created by the Children's Defense Fund. It has a child's crayon drawing of a boat on a bumpy sea with the words of this fisherman's prayer, Dear Lord, be good to me. The sea is so wide and my boat is so small. This sense of perspective, this awareness of our individual smallness seems out of fashion these days. Our consumer-driven society seems to want to make us think that with a few improvements, our boats would be sufficient enough. But if you've ever seen the ocean in a real storm, you know that even a large boat is oftentimes not enough. And we're in a storm these days, right? And we need all the help we can get. So isn't it obvious that our individual boats are not enough? I'm remembering a scene from that old movie, Jaws. Do you remember what Roy Scheider says when he first sees that great white shark? He says, you're going to need a bigger boat. (laughs) To heal our wounds, to engage across our differences with these holy mysteries, what our society needs these days is a bigger boat, larger and more generous ways of being religious, of touching these depths together. And this is something we can and should be part of. And the truth is, a bigger boat isn't something any one person or group can build all by themselves. It's something we create together when we open ourselves to one another and to the Spirit, when we join hearts and hands, when we trust there is a power moving among us that will help us and heal us if we will let it. This is what our world hungers for these days and needs. So let's get on with being part of that, remembering that we are kindred pilgrim souls, making our way by the lights of the heavens, making our way home together. Amen. Let's sing Blue Boat Home, number 1064.